Hey y'all, welcome back to a Wednesday, August 17th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Apologize for being away uh, yesterday. There was a scheduling uh, issue, so no pod on uh, the Tuesday, August uh, 16th edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast and the Blue Hour Pod Network, so we apologize on that front. Uh, but back to normal today and the rest of this week, we kick things off with Noah Eagle. Yeah. Son of Ian Eagle of um, broadcasting fame, just a, one of the best sports broadcasters uh, of the last, just not even several, but just a really long time. Um, so I've been listening to him for a long time. And now Noah uh, just being uh, another great rising star in the, in the commentating ranks as well. Uh, he's now the radio uh, play-by-play boys for the LA Clippers, doing some work for the Chargers. Uh, but it was a lot of fun talking to him about his career, how he got started, uh, his relationship with his dad, um, calling games on the radio, specifically basketball, football, even some hockey stuff, how he's practiced for the job, how he's gotten ready to work in radio and follow, follow his dad's footsteps, um, his relationship with Dan Fouts, who he called uh, some charters action with as of late, um, who obviously spent a lot of time with his dad as well. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun talking all things, uh, radio and commentating games and also, uh, what to expect out of the team that he covers and commentates for the LA Clippers this year. So a lot of fun with him as we kick things off, uh, here on the Tuesday, August 16th or nope, it is the Wednesday, August 17th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Homes podcast. As always, folks, if you uh, are not already, please make sure you're subscribed to the Chase Most Podcast here on Blue Wire Pod Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Gator Podcasts. Just make sure you're subscribed so that you never miss a future episode. Uh, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast as well. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff as we continue growing out that page. And yeah, all right, two-parter today here on the Wednesday edition. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello, and welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Take a pin this on a Tuesday afternoon. Noah Eagle is here. Noah, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Uh, two thumbs up. Can't you see the two thumbs up? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on, Chase, and uh, let's have some fun. You, you tell me where you want to go if you want to talk about broadcasting great if you want to talk about like my journey through puberty i'm an open book so let's do it there you go well we might get into all of that we'll see how it goes <laughs> i'm ready when you see though radio voice los angeles clippers noah eagle is that still kind of surreal for you yeah i think that like anything in life it gets more you, you get more of a comfortable feeling around it the more you do it and mm. you get more of a feeling of ownership over it the more that you've experienced it but there is still something to it considering I'm still early in the career only year four now coming up and still relatively young by industry standards that when I'm it's more so not even when I hear it but when I'm in the environment when I'm sitting at what is now crypto.com arena or I'm sitting at Barclays Center in an arena I grew up in uh, MSG and in places like that, and I'm in the middle of a big game, and I'm there, and I'm witnessing, and I'm calling all the action. Those are still the pinch me moments of, wow, I really get to do this, huh? I really get to live out what has been a dream, and so I'm thankful every day that I get that opportunity. Do people who know you from when you were a kid 
do they think your voice has changed as you've gotten more and more into this? Is there a radio voice and a TV voice for Noah? And there's a different voice that they have heard. Do you do you spruce it up a little bit? How does that work? Yeah, it's why. So the way I was always taught was when you're broadcasting, it's supposed to be, and this is in any broadcasting setting, it's supposed to be conversational but authoritative at the same time. So my voice is is very similar to what it is when I'm on the air, but it's not mm. exactly the same because I need to make sure it's still, there's still a performance aspect of the job. Mm. So I still need to make sure I am hitting that performance while maintaining the comfortability that is required for a viewer, or for a listener. So I think that, look, if you knew me when I was five, you're going to say my voice has changed. If you knew me when I was 12, I would hope you would say my voice has changed. Mm. Probably if you knew me year one of this job, I would say you'd say my voice has changed. I listen back already. And for those who don't know, my dad's a longtime broadcaster. One of my favorite things to do is listen to when he was my age, just, hmm. just starting out, because it sounds like a different guy. It just sounds incredibly young compared to what he does now, which is natural. I think that's true of any broadcaster. Go back to Joe Buck when he first started on the NFL and compare it to what he sounds like now. It's going to be a little bit different. You go back to Mike Tirico from when he was in Syracuse as a student and working at the, the station over there to what he sounds like now, it's going to be different. Mike Breen, you go down the list of any sports broadcaster, and honestly, pretty much any broadcaster, actor, anybody who has to perform for a living, if you w- listen to what they sounded like when they were starting at 22 or 23 to compare it to where they are maybe in their 50s, it's just going to be night and day. So I think that that's already been the case. And when I listen back to my first year, I sound like a kid. And now I listen back to what I do now. I sound like a slightly older kid. So it's good. What does mom think, though? <laughs> she uh, she understands. She understands the. Anatomy. Well, no, what I'm saying, does she think you're different? Do you, do you think she's heard the yeah. difference? Is she giving you notes? Is she telling you, oh, yeah, he's growing up? Sure. I, I would say that she has mentioned uh, she she just feels like it's gotten better as I've gone on, which is the Mm. goal. I think that for any broadcaster, again, no matter what your role is, your goal isn't necessarily to go and dominate this, this, and this. Mm. Your goal every single time you get on the air and the red light is on is to make any sort of improvement, even if it's Mm. very small, if it's a minuscule improvement, or it might be a huge improvement from broadcast to broadcast, especially when you're starting out. So now every single time I go on the air, my goal is, can I be just 1% better than I was the last time? And if I can do that, I'm going to put myself in good shape. So I feel like I've done that to the best of my ability. And I would say she's concurred to this point. Interesting. Um, you mentioned Joe Buck. Um, I think about, I mean, obviously with your dad being in broadcasting and being one of the best for so many years, have you re- has Buck reached out to you uh, or has like a Chip Carey who also has obviously followed in his father's footsteps? Is there like a community there of following in your dad's <laughs> footsteps for that? Yeah, I, I have not talked to Joe directly. I read his mm. book because I thought it would be good insight for me. And it was honestly because of the similarities of the backgrounds mm. and, and interesting things of how he handled himself versus how I've wanted to handle myself and the intersectionality between the two. But you know, I've talked to Kenny Albert. I've mm. talked to some of the other younger broadcasters who are my age that are doing the same thing. You know, Sam Ravitch is someone who has uh, really started to ascend. We have Ben Shulman actually at uh, Syracuse. Friend of the pod, been on the pod. There you go. So Ben Shulman was at Syracuse while I was there. I actually showed him around campus. 
say we're starting to build more and more and more of that. Um, Tom McCarthy's son has done great work as well. So you go down a list of, of people who are starting to do it. As, it. It's going to continue because the same reason I think that I got into it, which is I had a good relationship with my dad. I saw every day that he was excited when he got up and, and hmm. did work essentially and got to go with him to the events. And that's mesmerizing. You want to be like somebody that you look up to. And I looked up to him. I looked around. I said, this, this is pretty fun and said, well, why don't I try to do that? And the rest is, is mostly history from there, but it's been, it's been a great ride. And yeah, I, I'd love to continue to connect with all of the second or third generation broadcasters out there. What is the best piece of advice your dad gave you? You know, I don't know if it's necessarily advice that he gave or it's more so just me watching him in the mm. environments every single time I went with him. You know, everybody asks this because they want to know. And, and my dad is someone who gives a lot of advice, not just to me, but to a lot of different people. And mm. so I would always recommend picking his brain if you have the chance. But the best thing you can do is watch him in the environment. It's, it's like anybody else that's good at what they do or that's well-respected and well-liked. Watch what they do. See how they make it happen. See how the sausage is made, so to speak. So it's not just the fact that I would watch him for the we- a full week leading up to a game, preparing and, and taking copious notes and diving deep into the subject to make sure he knows the material front, back, sideways, and in, be- in between – it's the fact that when we got there, after all that prep, and most people just want to focus on what they're doing, he took a genuine interest in every single person that's part of the crew. He remembers hmm. everybody's names. He makes sure that he knows something about everybody. And not just because he wants to say, yeah, I just want these people to like me. No, no, no. He actually cares. He just he cares about people. And so that's what I, I would say I've taken from him more than anything is just take an interest in everybody. Because if you do that, generally – everybody in that group becomes more of exactly that a group it's more camaraderie that goes with it and the broadcast will be raised as a result if you have a high frequency around that general group no matter who they are no matter if it's a stage manager no matter if it's a cameraman no matter if it's your producer or the head of the network i don't care who you are you're going to be included that's that's what i took away from him so it's not him telling me that it's more so me watching that do y'all give each other notes now at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say he gives me more than I give him. But if I hear something, I'm going to pass it along. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like my knowledge is good. I feel yeah. like what I can decipher on a broadcast can be helpful. So we'll pass notes for sure. But what am I supposed to say to him on a consistent basis? I think he's great at what he does and near perfection every time he he's in front of the microphone. So uh, it, it's great to make sure – from my perspective, it's great to make sure I am doing everything to the best of my ability and I'm on my A game all the time. Because if I'm not on my A game all the time, he's going to let me know. I also just think it's interesting doing radio play-by-play because I think it is, it's one I've always been curious about because it, from my perspective, I would just imagine that it's a really hard job to just practice before getting reps. And like You kind of just have to do the reps on air and you kind of have to just get through the bumps and you figure it out as you go. But if you didn't grow up listening to a lot of radio broadcasts and you do not know the rhythms and cues of a radio broadcast, I imagine that it's a brutal 
brutal initiation period for a couple hours, right? Like, how do you do practice to do radio play-by-play? And what did you find was true about radio play-by-play that you did not necessarily think was going to be true? I think that what you said, one word is key, and that's practice. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to do in broadcasting, it's all about the reps, right? You need to make sure you're just doing it more, 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 more. The only way to get better at anything is to keep doing it more, more, more. If you want to be a great pianist, or a great basketball shooter, or you want to be a great doctor, you just have to do it. You have to put mm. yourself in the environment. And so how does a basketball player practice? You might say, well, a wide open shot, you're not going to have that in the game. So so they just take as many as they possibly can in an empty gym so that no matter what, they are going to be unfazed when there's a defender in front of them. I think the same is true for a pianist. If you want to be a great pianist, you're practicing, practicing, practicing in front of no audience. And now you've mm-hmm. got an audience. It's different environments. So there's different stimulus every time. So I think it's the same principle here. You might sound like a crazy person, and I'm sure I have in my room, into my phone, going through and finding an old game and calling it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I've got Kyle Lowry, <laughs> domination. And someone might walk by and go, what the hell's wrong with that guy? I actually mm-hmm. had to do... I had to do a Clipper game in a hotel room my second year with the team in New Orleans. I was in the hotel and I'm calling the game for real. Mm. And I I just picture people walking past my room and I'm going, Sergi Baca, (laughs) no regard. Oh, what a shot. And they're like, wow, this has to be the biggest Sergi Baca fan on the face of the planet. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? So you just you can't care about that type of stuff. If you're going to practice, do it in your room, close the door, go into a deep, dark corner or whatever you need to do. But just practice. Just do it into your phone for five minutes every day. And every day you're going to get a little bit smoother, a little bit better. And then it's going to make it easier for when you're actually in the environment because you've been doing it on a screen. You've been doing it with no crowd. You've been doing it with all of the best factors of being there taken away from you. So it's just practice, 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 make it harder than the actual thing. And then when you get to the actual thing, make sure that you obviously just do it. Don't worry about it in the moment while you're while you're calling the game. Just call the game. Worry about mistakes or whatever else afterward. Be critical of yourself afterward. But in the moment, just keep plowing forward and and let the, the rest of your instincts essentially take over. What'd you minor in at Syracuse? Psychology. Oh, so do you think that's what you would have done if you had not gone the broadcasting route? No, I, okay. I love psychology. I found it fascinating and I still mm. do. I, I just the human brain to me is completely fascinating. But I would have done something in probably movies. I love mm. movies. I love TV, something in that realm in the entertainment world. You know, I wish when you go to Newhouse, you can't minor in something within Newhouse. Yeah. So. I was I wanted to minor originally in television, radio, film, mm-hmm. but you can't do that. You're not allowed to. You would have to double major, which I was. No, I was not going <laughs> to double major. I'm mm-hmm. fine with the minor. I'm not double majoring. So I decided to do psychology. But if I if I could have, I would have done TRF, which would have opened a different world up. And that's the type of stuff that I love. So, you know, it is what it is. And I, I honestly love the knowledge I've gotten from my psych classes. But Different, obviously different paths. Have you seen bodies, 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 bodies yet? I haven't, heard, I haven't seen it yet. I was potentially going to try to go a couple of days ago, but it didn't work out. So I'm going to have to check it out very soon. It was phenomenal. Saw it with yeah. my fiance over the weekend. 10 out of 10. It was, it 10 was so out much of fun. 10. 
dude it was fun it was I mean, exactly what it was 10. well i think it's really hard to put together it's a rookie really- score chase it's a what it's a rookie score chase yeah well you know you can't you can't go a perfect movie well hold what, on what do you I, I shouldn't do 10 out of 10 you know? i am saying like in terms of okay I also think it's just been a week. It's just been a week. Movies and COVID just kind of messed up a lot of just what's come out. And maybe part of it is just the fatigue of hearing people talking about Top Gun Maverick. I mean, it was excellent. That's fine. But it's just everyone. It's like the only movie people saw this year. And it was kind of overwhelming to me where it's just that's the only thing they saw. And if you're like, well, what else have you seen? Or what else are you? And it's like, that's it. Then I, I, I just... I'm over that conversation of just being like, oh, what movies have you seen? Top Gun Maverick. Oh, it's great. You have to see it. You have to see that one movie that I saw all year long. And it's like, okay, okay. I, I'm over that conversation. So I guess part of it is like I had this appetite for um, for that movie. Like I saw X, the A24 film. Uh, to, yeah. Like A24 is just fun. I, I think maybe part of it is just that I love A24 stuff. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're – if you're jealous of Miles Teller's stash and ab combo, you right. can admit it. That's okay. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. all right. I'm sure you're not the only one. Jay Ellis crushed his role in that film. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Tom Cruise is somehow an ageless wonder when it comes to action mm-hmm. and his action-packed acting career. But I understand where you're coming from. So I am going to have to check that one out. Uh, is it five bodies, three bodies, uh, infinite bodies? I guess I'll, I'll find out soon. You will find find out out. that is revealed how many bodies there actually are. Um, But it's a fun time. It's a fun time, uh, Noah. So when you look at the Clippers, though, what are you most excited about this year? Because when you look at this roster, and I made this point in the show on Sunday, where I think they're the deepest team in the NBA. I don't think there's a way around that. And there's both positives and negatives, which is that like, hey, the positive Ty Lue has got a lot of options. Um, he is, it's a good spot to be in out of the gate where you, I mean, we see this in college football all the time where like competition is what all these coaches want. And they're like, the portal isn't a big deal to Nick Saban or whoever um, because you have somebody better, like the better player won out. So the better player is not transferring, but you had this competition to find out who the better player was. And I think we're going to see that a little bit with the Clippers where at the point guard spot, at the two spot, like the only thing we know for certain is a healthy Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I think they're going to have their uh, roles defined pretty nicely. And I think they're going to be okay. But outside of that, I think there's a lot of competition up and down this roster. Does that, is that the best way of framing what uh, the Clippers look like going into next year? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, I think versatility is the other part of it. And and you mentioned one name in particular, that's going to make it all go. And that's Teron Liu. Mm-hmm. I think Teron Liu is no doubt a top three coach in the NBA. I'm biased, and I would say that he's potentially the top coach in the league right there with Eric Spolstra and whoever else you want to put up there, Nick Nurse, et cetera. I just think that he's proven himself time and time in his coaching career in the NBA, and still people are like, yeah, but, well, no but at this point. Let's just think about mm-hmm. what he's done. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got to make sure I'm ready, worked up. Mm-hmm. First year as a head coach, he takes over midseason for a Cleveland Cavalier team that was sputtering just a tad, and he takes them all the way to an NBA championship in 2016. So that was mm-hmm. year one. Takes them to the finals every other year after that. Gets let go seven games, I believe, into the season after LeBron leaves because they wanted, in all actuality, to go in a different direction. They're trying to mm-hmm. rebuild, and they don't want to win. <laughs> That's that's really why that they let him go at that point. They don't want to win. 
So he takes the year, and then he comes to the Clippers the following year as an assistant, gets risen to the head coach there, and all he's done since is make a Western Conference final for the first time in franchise history and then take a season in which Kawhi Leonard played zero games and Paul George played 31 games and finish above 500, win 42 games. And who knows if Paul George doesn't get COVID for that second play-in game you never know if they can win that playing game. You never know how they fare against Phoenix, who we saw how that whole playoff run ended up going. You just never know how it all plays out. And and shoot, you never know how it plays out two years ago if Kawhi Leonard doesn't tear his ACL. All this to say, T, all T. Lou has done in his coaching career is win. He's never had a losing season. He's come in. He's been tactical. He's come in. He's managed personalities. He made sure Kyrie and LeBron were going to mesh for as long as they possibly could. He's come to L.A. and any of those chemistry issues that some were, t- were talking about or hearing about, gone. This is a locker room that all gets along. So he's the reason that I feel confident anything is going to work with this team. In terms of the depth, you're absolutely right. It's hard to argue that any team has more of it. You've got two legitimate guys at point guard who could start on a majority of teams in Reggie Jackson and John Wall. You've got Norman Powell, who might come off the bench, given what everybody else is doing on the floor, because you've got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Marcus Morris, Avica Zubats, Nick Batum, Robert Covington, Terrence Mann, who's proven himself big time the last couple of years, Luke Kennard, who led the league in three-point percentage while averaging 12 a game last year. Amir Coffey just got re-signed and had spurts last year. There was a month where he was leading the team in scoring, and it wasn't like they were losing. They were winning games. So they've got, I would say a lot of people would agree, an embarrassment of riches at this point. They can play any way they want to. That's the key to me. They can morph to any opponent. They want to play big, they can play big. They want to play small, they can play small. They want to put a bunch of shooters on the floor, they can put shooters on the floor. They want to put guys who can attack the basket and get to the free throw line, they can put guys that can attack the basket and and get to the free throw line. They want to put a defensive line out there, they've got defense for days. So they can play any way they have to play in order to win. That's the luxury they've got. Have you heard anything about Kawhi right now? Do you you know how healthy he is at the moment? Kawhi's Kawhi's going to be just just fine. Let's put it that way. He's fine. Okay. So opening night, we should expect Kawhi Leonard in the lineup. You think? I'd be surprised if he isn't. I like that uh, because Kawhi playing basketball is a, a fun time, and I would like to see him play basketball. Um, the first thing, because you're also doing Chargers, you're a busy guy, Noah. So you're doing Chargers, <laughs> you're doing Clippers, you're all LA Noah. That's what they call you in LA. Sure. Uh, these, yeah. Um, what was the first thing Dan Fouts told you before y'all went in the broadcast? <laughs> well. Yeah, it's weird. You know what, Chase? I do walk down the street. They go, oh, I know. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not me. I, right. From the East Coast. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, they're, I mean, you have LA on the hat and they're like having to go. They're kind of have to tilt their head a little bit to figure yeah, out. what they're gotta be like, hey, how you doing? I don't know why I'm Sylvester Stallone when I talk out here, but. Well, there might be a lot of Sylvester Stallone uh, voice people over there. They want to get in on the game. Like, like a lot of impersonators. I imagine there are a lot of impersonators man. in LA. That's very, very true. It's a booming I, business on Twitter. If I have an impersonation guy one day, then I, I, that's how I know I've made it. If someone is trying to do an impression of me, that's how I know it's over. I, I can't really top that at that point. And, I would agree. Yeah. Anyway, to answer your question, I've known Dan for a long time. I've known okay. Dan since I was 12, probably. So hmm. in 13, almost 14 years now. And... He worked with my dad for a decade. 
so him and his wife Jerry and their kids they're they're like extended parts of the Eagle family at this at this point. They are fully entrenched in the bird's nest, <laughs> as we call it. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever met Dan, we were going to the game. My dad was bringing me to a game he was doing. It was a jet game, so it was at home for us in, from in northern New, Jersey, northern New Jersey. Drive to the game, get there, and he's on the way. When we're probably five, ten minutes away, he goes, hey, I know it's the first time meeting Dan. He's probably going to give you something. So here's what I want you to say. I'd love to take credit for this, but my dad was the one who planted it in me, and then I had to go deliver it. Mm-hmm. So here's what you're going to say. He's going to give you something, and then you're going to look him dead in the eye and say, you didn't have anything from Kellen Winslow? And so I said, me, before puberty, before Mm -hmm. my voice changing or anything, was just like, okay, yeah. So we show up. Sure enough, I'm sitting in the press room, and Mm -hmm. Dan comes turning the corner, and he's got this thing in his hand, and he chucks it at me, Mm -hmm. and it's his jersey. It was my size, his jersey. And, of course, I look right up. I had rehearsed it in my head, and I looked right in the eye. I said, Thanks. You didn't have anything from Callan Winslow. <laughs> and Dan looked directly at my dad. He goes, oh, he's your son. He mm. is your son. I don't like him already and walks away. So that's that was the first time that's I awesome. met him and then obviously developed relationship over the years. So it was comfortable by the time we got to this point. I've known him for so long. I've known Jerry for a long time, his wife, and they were both around the last couple of days leading up to the first preseason game. So it was comfortable. It was easy. It wasn't like, hey, we got to do this, this, and this. We reviewed what we wanted to talk about, and we just kind of went from there and had fun more than anything else. I think that's always the key. That's something that I remind myself every broadcast I do, but especially with Dan, with that comfortability factor, we just wanted to have fun. And we, it's preseason. We want everybody else to just have fun watching. So we think we did that, and we've got two more chances to try to make it even better. The most difficult part about or not even dis- difficult what would you say is the most difficult part about calling a basketball game and a football game and how are they different so there i would say there's there are similarities in the most difficult part mm-hmm. which is making sure you're ready for and what depends what we're talking about college versus nba right mm-hmm. college versus nfl completely different animals altogether yeah but always being ready for action is paramount for both definitely for nba Definitely for basketball in general, but for sure the NBA. Because in the NBA, a highlight can happen in a blink of an eye. Someone mm-hmm. can get a quick steal and a dunk, and if you're looking down, you're going to miss the whole thing. So you've got to constantly be locked in on the action. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the more difficult things to do when you're first starting out because you're so focused on trying to get your prep in or do whatever else or making sure you get everybody's name right or getting stats, whatever it might be. You've got to remember to keep your head on a swivel. It's got to mm. be quick. It's got to be your head movements. Your neck's got to be strong. Your mm-hmm. neck's got to be flexible. You've mm-hmm. got to be ready for anything. So that's that's definitely important. Basketball and NBA, but it's important in football too. And I think last year I was doing a college game and I got caught trying to get a stat out. And meanwhile, they were throwing a deep ball for a touchdown. So now I have to shift out of it real quick. It just doesn't sound as right. So it's making sure that you leave yourself enough time, even if you've started the play by finishing your first sentence that you're talking about, maybe something else, a storyline, whatever it might be, get quickly out of it so you're still on top of the action. So Mm -hmm. those are some of the more difficult things. The rest of it, though, is 
I would say also remembering where you're doing the game. If you're doing a mm. game on radio, you know, hey, I got to I got to fill the blanks for these people. But at the same time, I don't need to over talk. I don't need to just talk for the sake of talking. If there are three seconds of nothing, you're going to hear the ambient noise of the environment. You're going to hear maybe someone screaming on the sideline. You'd never know. Mm. So just knowing what the viewer, the audience member, the listener, whatever they need, no matter how you're doing it. If you're doing it on TV, you can let the pictures do some of the talking. If you're doing it on TV, you can let the sounds do some of the talking. If you're doing it on TV, you don't want to over talk because then they're going to turn it off and try to find another way to get it. So I think it's just remembering all the time and trying to cater because if I'm going back and forth the way I am, sometimes if I'm in the middle of basketball season, I'm locked in in the radio type of mode. And then I go in and do tennis on TV. And if I talk like I do on the radio for basketball, I'd get fired the next day. So it's just remembering what is needed. Interesting. If the LA Kings call you tomorrow and they're like, hey, we need you to <laughs> do radio for uh, some Kings games. Do you say yes or you're like, I, I've just I've heard radio and how difficult and how fast you talk about fast and the speed of basketball. I still will maintain con hockey games is the most difficult of any of the jobs. And I honestly have no idea how they do it. It blows my mind every time I'm watching a Preds game or whoever. Like it's preposterous. Could you do it, Noah? Uh, I think if you gave me enough time to prepare and get ready, but it would take a lot of time. Like, it wouldn't mm. be a, hey, we need you to do this next week. I would be like, there's no way. I'd have to learn it. I'd have to go back to the bare bones of it. I'd have to just really work at it. Mm. And even then, the first one would be a process. I don't think it would be bad. It just wouldn't be great. And then over time, it would get better. But no, you're right. To me, hockey and baseball are the two hardest to call. And mm. because those are the two that I don't, I don't live in those sports as much. I live in basketball for sure. And I've lived more and more with each year in football and yeah. growing up. Those are the two sports I really was focused on. And I was a big Mets fan. I was a big baseball fan when I was younger. And certainly when the Mets are good, like they are this year, I try to follow along, but. Did you catch the game last night by any chance? Are you a Braves fan? Ah, Chase, we were doing so well. Hmm. Yeah, I got. Uh, I mean, look here, here. This will help too. So, what was your favorite um, hit slash run from last night? I got it already. So, if you would like to go through uh, the fifth run, uh, we got that right here off a of Dansby RBI single. Uh-huh. You can go to the Rosario Homer early on. It was a ninety-five exit velo in right field. I would field. say the Basically. least favorite one was Contreras because he decided that was the no first one. Was- Narco is his also his walk up. Uh, listen, yeah. Listen, what's the lead at four and a half? Still four I and a half. It's four and a half now. It was five and a half last night. So yeah. Yeah, four and, four and a half. half still up and just right. rushed the Braves. It wasn't that a sweep at City Field? I believe I it was two or three. Two out of three. Either yeah. way, it was mm. actually no. It was four out of five. Four out of five, maybe. Yeah. Four out of five. Yeah. yeah. Four out of five at City Field. I think that I think the Mets are going to be just fine. They were due for a stinker at one point. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk when Degrom and Scherzer go back to back on the bump. Then, then yeah, I think we'll, they're what Thursday for or, yeah, or uh, yeah, Wednesday we'll, Thursday. Yeah, yeah, we'll chat about that one. We'll see yeah. how that one goes. Um, either way, <laughs> I think that hockey and baseball. It, it's funny that you brought this up mm-hmm. because my first year with the Clippers, we went to Golden State, mm-hmm. and the engineer was a fill in for the. It was actually the last game we played before COVID hit. Mm. 
that night the engineer was a fill-in who was more of the hockey guy there. He did the San Jose Sharks mostly. That was mm. his thing. And we were talking about it, and I said exactly what you just said to me. I said, I don't understand how anybody can do hockey on the radio. Mm. I said the, the pace of it so, is so brutal. The puck is just constantly moving. You can barely see it. And the line shifts all the time. Yes. Yes. You can't see numbers. I don't know how they do it. You just have to be aware of everyone on the ice all the Mm -hmm. time. And that's not easy. And he goes, really? Because I think hockey is easy. I think basketball is impossible. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, I think basketball is impossible because I don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize if you grew up, and if you were a massive hockey fan, I know there are mm. a couple of friends I have that are just huge hockey fans. They it, it was easy to them. But then they mm. try to shift over and do a basketball game or a football or something else. And it's it's a challenge. So I think it is mm. about the environment you grew up around. What was your favorite type of stuff to watch and listen to? Because you naturally through osmosis are going to get things when mm. you're constantly t- plugged into a broadcast. So whatever you were spending your most time watching or in, in jesting, let's say, that's going to be the easiest for you when you first try it. You can only watch the Mighty Ducks over and over again so exactly. many times before you really are like, Miracle, okay, you know, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Well, I mean, just meant like the radio. Remember the radio broadcast, the the grandpa who's just sitting in his sure. chair listening to the game on the radio and you just want to keep listening to that over and over again because you're like, that kid had it. If this 16 year old can call these games, then I can call these games. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I would say that wouldn't be great for self-esteem. Personally, <laughs> that'd be like Sammy Sprinkler mm-hmm. in uh, in the bench warmers. Right. Right. Like, you just Good feel call. like Sandy Sprinkler. That is a name I've not heard in a long time. Yeah. It's just, you know, it was a. Uh, you just never know how you're going to feel when a nine-year-old crushes you. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be crushed by a nine-year-old. You know, my dad has a great one when Sasha Vujacic was with mm-hmm. the New Jersey Nets. And yeah. I just got a chance to meet Sasha a little while ago. He lives out in L.A. now. He's a great mm-hmm. guy. So it's it's better now that I know he's a great guy and he appreciated it because I asked him about this. But mm-hmm. his nickname is The Machine, and he's got a fun name to say. And my dad, obviously, would get excited when he did something good for the Nets. Mm. And so there was a three-year-old kid who just loved it. And every time my dad would scream, Sasha Vujicic, <laughs> it would be like, Sasha Vujicic in his house. Mm. And his dad, the three-year-old's dad, posted it or emailed it to the Nets or something. Mm. And so they got the kid to a game, and he battled with my dad with a Sasha Vujicic off. Okay. And he smoked him. Ooh. It's on YouTube still. There's many views on the thing. He's a three-year-old. Him. Three-year-old, mm. yes. And so that's not a good feeling. You don't no. want it. So to know that Sammy Sprinkler or the 16-year-old and Mighty Ducks or whatever else, mm. that it's not good for you. Pride comes just before the fall, sir. That's true. You got to stay on your toes, Noah. You got to stay on your toes. There's that another is- 16-year-old, 12-year-old walking around L.A. Listen to you. On a Friday evening, uh, call Clippers, Bucks. They're like, "Oh, is that how he says uh, Norman Powell?" I've got a better one. I've got a, I got a different one. I, yeah. I can do this. Yeah, I can do Kapow. Like, oh my I god, it, that's know. good. Have you uh, used that? I mean, he only played a couple games this year, sure. but I, I may have. Yes. Okay, what's your favorite one for the Clippers? Is, do you have one ready to go? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, my favorite one is the one that gets the most. I've said I would say that's gotten the most comments for mm. sure which is PG-13 is rated R. I use that one 
only when he is really like if he's on mm-hmm. a heater heater, you know, mm-hmm. if, he, if he goes three straight possessions and he puts a bucket in, then he's rated R now. And mm. that one, I would say I'll probably only use it over the course of a season, maybe 10, 15 times. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like the big moments. And I like that one. That's a good one. I, I like that one. Uh, Noah, this has been great. I, I've had a lot of fun doing this, man. I appreciate you having me, Chase. We'll do it again soon. And uh, best of luck, I, I would say to your Braves, but right. I, I actually feel none of that. In, mm-hmm. in fact, I actually wish the worst of luck on your Braves. Well, I appreciate that. Um, banners fly forever. Um, yeah. I can pull up the 2021 edition if you want to see like the. Listen, I, that I, I can't say anything to mm-hmm. the fact of the, you know, defending champions. Right. But you're only going to be the defending champions for so much longer. So enjoy mm-hmm. it while you have it. And right. the hope is that there's a different defending champion from the NL East by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have a different conversation altogether. That's true. But as we know, it's the New York Mets. And look, you guys just can't have nice things. It's I, just, mean, I don't make the rules. I don't have nice things. The problem is I don't necessarily disagree with you, which, mm-hmm. is, which is telling about me and my sports fandom growing up. Mm-hmm. Because the, the pessimism for me, I'm an, I'm an incredibly optimistic person by nature. Mm-hmm. You have to be if you're going to root for teams the way I did growing up. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm so realistic about what I expect mm. that it took me until like 50 games in this year to actually say, oh, the team's good. Great. I had mm. to wait because I've seen this story too many times. So now I need Buck to – it's Buck's time, all right? Right. If it's not going to be Buck, it's Dusty Baker. But I, one of the two is going to win one of these at some point, and it's going to be glorious. And for Buck, mm. it's it's time. It's time. Maybe we'll see. Let's hope not. The America's hoping not. It's not even just an Atlanta thing. It's America uh, as a sure. as a whole. It's if, just if that's pulling what you against say. it. That's what yeah. lets us sleep at night. Yeah. Noah, thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it, and we will talk again very soon. Absolutely, sounds great. Appreciate it, man. All right, y'all. That'll do it for the Wednesday, August seventeenth, twenty twenty two edition here on part one of the Chase Most Podcast Part 2 coming up with Fangraphs John Taylor right after this, so stick around here on this very feed. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if that is indeed how you uh, listen to today's program. As always, you can get in touch with me in the show, Podcast at gmail.com. Read me and all my sports writing over at sportsrenaissancemancom Type in your email and become a subscriber to day uh part two coming up right after this stay with us uncle Derek. how'd i do nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah